0: All right, guys, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning, for a beautiful day, Lord. And uh, just thank you for the opportunity to come and to gather and to uh, look into your word and, and just take take a few minutes to discern your voice, to hear from you, Lord. So I pray for each one here that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts that truly desire to understand what it is what the takeaway is from this morning for us individually and as a church so we commit this time to you father we thank you we pray you'd be glorified in it in Jesus name amen we've been in john chapter 8 for a few weeks <laughs> I know you guys like to tease me about how fast we're going here but uh, John chapter 8 is an interesting interesting chapter we Look first at the woman caught in the act of adultery, in the very act, the fact that Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground, and uh, we talked about that at length, about how there he was in the court of the women in the temple proper, and that there wasn't dirt on the ground, there was stone, and here the finger of God writing on stone for the second time, <laughs> because we look back into Exodus and saw where when God wrote the Ten Commandments, The very commandment that said, Thou shalt not commit adultery, that there was Jesus here in the temple writing again. That's, believe me, that's interpretation, but I believe it's the best interpretation. I've I've read a lot of things and different people over years and uh, relatively unimpressed, but uh, it's not important. If God wanted us to know what it said, he'd have told us, but uh, I think it's significant. So then we went from there, we went to the debate that started to arise with Jesus and both the religious leaders of the day, as well as the people. And we see and we saw that whenever Jesus comes up, people divide. And that's how it is in our world today. People divide over this guy, Jesus, and this God-man that came and accomplished the work of redemption on our behalfs And He still divides, and he said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword, and and that he does bring a sword. He divides people, because, uh, and we looked at, again, last week we looked at the difference between subjective truth, which isn't really truth at all, because it's based on emotion, it's based on opinion, it's based on bias, and we looked at objective truth, which is based in reality. And that whenever Jesus speaks, he speaks objectively. He speaks truth. He doesn't ever not speak truth. He's not a truthful person. He is the embodiment of truth. And we'll look at that a little more this morning. And then we looked at verse 32. Uh, It was where we ended last week. And he says, you'll know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So we talked about truth last week at length. And today we're going to talk about freedom. What is it to be free? I I mentioned last week. I I was telling somebody this week one of the dangers of studying ahead is I start to like preach next week's message this week, and I started to get into this week's message last week when I was talking about freedom. And if you ask the average Joe out there, uh, especially young people, give me your definition of freedom, and it's the freedom. The answer usually is, well, freedom is being able to do anything I want. That's not so in God's kingdom. We see that we are free, but we are called to freedom within a secure relationship because we're going to see that people who are not related to Jesus rightly are not free. And, and he has been beckoning to the religious leaders. Again, this is a heated debate between him and the religious leaders here. This We're breaking into the middle of this. I mean, it is hammered down for these guys. And and yet in the middle of that, in three times in last week's text, we looked at it where he says, unless you believe that I am and yeah, and translators insert the word he, but it's in italics because they try to do that for clarification. And I believe it muddies it rather than clarifies it because he's using the covenant name of God. Unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. And he doesn't say you might, he says you will. And so we see that understanding this truth of Jesus is related to the freedom that he brings. Freedom from what? We're going to look at that in depth this morning. Well, not in depth. We're going to take a look at three different aspects of Freedom. Because we see that when we're freed, we're freed from something in God's economy. And we're also freed towards something. And we're going to look at both. So, and as we go through, just imagine this line. And I call it the neutral line, okay? We know that humanity is condemned and sits condemned under the judgment of God. Well, along comes Jesus accomplishes the act of redemption, and that act of redemption brings us to a place where we are no longer condemned, but he offers us more than that, so it's like we start out, we're, we're born dead. I mean, Ephesians 2 says you're you're dead in your trespasses and sins, but God, being rich in mercy, and so on, he, he not only forgives us for our sins, but he elevates us, he justifies us, he declares us righteous, and so you have this neutral line, well, we fall way below this line but he not, not just brings us to a place where we're neutral but he pours it on. And we're gonna look at that in three different ways. Uh, freedom from the penalty of sin towards uh, being justified in God's sight. And we're gonna look at freedom from the power of sin and, and, and also just the intoxicating pleasure of sin and we're being honest if it wasn't tempting, it would be a no-brainer. So we'll look at, we've been freed from the power of sin, and, and yet there's this also this practical thing going on in our lives called sanctification, where we're being made holy. Not just freed from the power of sin in our lives, but actually being given the ability to sin less. And, and that goes on. We'll talk about that. But then finally, the presence of sin. Freed from the presence of sin, which is not a reality for us yet. But it will be. When we're finally in glory with him, when we are glorified together with him, we're going to look at that as well. So if I don't stop doing the intro, we'll never get to it. Verse 31, we're going to look at verses 31 through 37 this morning, and I'm going to read through it, and then we're going to unpack it a bit. So verse 31, then Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And they answered him and said, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anybody. So how can you say that you'll be made free? And Jesus answered them, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave doesn't abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you're Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me. Because my word has no place in you, so it's interesting because Jesus makes it clear in verse thirty-one that holding to his teachings is essential in order to claim to be one of his disciples. We'll talk about that. Further, his teachings should be accepted as absolute truth. This truth and no other has the power to set a person free, as shown in verse thirty-two. So, and, and there, out there in the world, guys, there are many philosophies and ideologies that make a claim for truth we talked about that last week at length not going to go back into it but all truth is God's truth understand that all truth is God's truth if he is the creator of all that is if he upholds as it says in Hebrews he upholds all things by the word of his power effortlessly then is there any truth aside from that there isn't Oh, the deception of the world would have you believe that there's my truth and your truth. We talked about that last week again, you know, where I could tell you I have a certain colored car in the parking lot. You go out there and it's a different make and a different color. And I said, well, it's my truth. That doesn't mean anything, but it's his truth. It's the ultimate reality. So with that in mind, all claims for truth must be judged and weighed in light of God's revealed truth and knowledge. To adhere, and listen to this, to adhere to a false view of reality is to be held captive, to be enslaved to ignorance. To live apart, a life that's apart from God's rule, is to be held captive to sin. So when we talk about the truth will set you free, free from ignorance, free from sin, kind of like the commercial, but wait, there's more. In verse 34, we see the truth of Jesus sets individuals free from all bondage. The Jews refused to listen to the truth of Jesus, instead insisting on clinging to their own thing, their own understanding. And that's what drove Jesus's comment in verses uh, 21 and 24, that they die in their sins. I, I mean, he's not, it's, it, the Bible tells us it's God's will that none would perish, but all would come to repentance, changing their mind about God. That's what repentance is. And, and, and that all would come, And so when we talk about people dying in their sins, it's not his will that people do that, but he wants a people that choose him. He seeks people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Again, we're talking about truth. We're talking about freedom here. Perhaps the most telling verse in this whole section is when Jesus says in verse 37 that they had no room for his word in them. That was very condemning. And again, even though this is a heated debate between him and the guys, and and he had others, uh, I believe he was loving them. Uh, He was wanting to give them truth, and it was his will to reveal truth. And they had shut their minds to the truth of God. So let's work back through this. Verse 31, Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide, and the word abide means continue, if you continue in my word, you are my disciples indeed. So what is a disciple? I mean, we think about it, and and I want to submit to you, sitting here this morning, you are a pupil, you're a learner, and a disciple is a learner, but it's more than a learner. A, A disciple really is more like an apprentice. Uh, i I was a sign painter, I was a journeyman sign painter when I was younger and and I apprenticed under a guy for a couple of years to learn the trade, to learn and and i was it was hands on i wasn 't just sitting in a classroom reading up on how and now now it 's all computers. you know I gave my brushes away. But the point is is i I learned a trade, and I was not just a a pupil. I was a disciple of this guy. I was a person who was learning about him. And that's truly what a disciple is, is someone who learns from him to live like Jesus. Uh, We've changed sort of the byword of the church here in the last month or two uh, from where God's word lives, which it does. There are many churches where God's word lives, and yet... I think it's more important that we are Christ-centered in our approach, and, and you'll see on your bulletin and the, the way that we're looking at things is that we are learning to think like Jesus. That's what we do as disciples. And as we think like him, it's not just to learn fun doctrines and to be sort of know-it-alls, and you know I've got it all down and all of that. Uh, I was pretty arrogant coming out of Bible college, kind of thought I had it wired, and it took the Lord several years to rewire me, and still does. But it's not about head knowledge because I realize that Christian maturity isn't how much you know. Truly, it's how much do you act like Jesus? How well do you love other people? How much are you willing to sacrifice to esteem that person next to you or that person that perhaps even bugs you as more important, as higher than yourself? That's learning to think like Jesus. See, that's what our goal is. And it's a lifelong thing. None of us will ever write, oh, I've really got that thinking of like Jesus down. No, that's not going to happen in our life. (laughs) And If somebody says that to you, run. Um, (laughs) But but it it truly is the goal. We are disciples. Um, A disciple is, first of all, a worshiper. Remember, Jesus said the the Father seeks those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Uh, secondly, a, a servant. Uh, remember, and we'll get to it in John thirteen. I love that passage. The night before Jesus goes to the cross, you know, parting instructions for his guys. He wraps himself with a towel. He goes around and washes everyone's feet. Yeah, and Peter has that whole boisterous thing, you know, oh, you're not going to wash. Well, yeah, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part in me. Okay, then wash all of me, you know, and that whole deal. And, and he says, you only need to have your feet washed, Peter. Yeah, you're good. Uh, but he gives those instructions, then he actually takes that. and He makes it a living object lesson. And he says, look, this is how the kingdom runs. I'm paraphrasing, but he says, this is how the kingdom of God runs. It runs on servanthood. It runs on other-centeredness. It runs on the opposite principles that this world runs where it's every man for himself. You know, I better get that last thing before somebody else does. How many times have you been in a parking lot where you get, you got your blinker on and somebody zips into the space? Yesterday, we were out in Wilsonville with our grandkids and, and son and daughter-in-law, and, and, and like the place is packed at the Family Fun Center. I mean, there's no parking spots anywhere. And I actually started getting uptight inside as I had my my blinker on and somebody was pulling out like, "Is somebody going to take this? Are they going to take my parking spot?" You know, and I'm going through this whole mental thing, and I'm thinking, "Yeah, you're 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 teaching on this tomorrow, John. Stop it." <laughs> so, but the point is, is that's what a disciple is: is somebody that is a servant. A disciple finally is a witness in in chapter twenty of this gospel. Uh, In verse 21, Jesus says, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And that just wasn't for his guys. That is a truth that rings down through the centuries right to your and my doorstep. He sends us. I talked last week about uh, he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He has called us to commit or to carry out the the great commission and, and to be witnesses to him in Jerusalem Our own backyard, our own circle in in Judea, uh, sort of a a widening circle. I look at that concentric circles. Like if you throw a stone in a pond, he has these, it it gets wider. And then he says Samaria. And I I love to tell people, well, Samaria for these people, that was really the bad neighborhood. It's like, you don't want to go to Samaria. No, no, no. The Pharisees, if they considered they had even a speck of dust on their sandal from Samaria, they were unclean. I mean, it was ridiculous. And Jesus marches right in. But he says, yeah, in Jerusalem, your own deal. In Judea, uh, further out, perhaps your relatives and people that you know. And then Samaria, yeah, the bad neighborhood, the people that really bug you, the people that maybe drive you nuts. Don't look at me with Sunday faces. You have them, so do I. But the point is, is, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. So we all have this, and so we're called to be a witness. And that's what a disciple is. So, Sunday morning, pupils. Sunday afternoon through Sunday morning when you show back up, disciples. That's God's will. Take it outside of the building. Live. Learn to live like Jesus. That's the point. Verse 32, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Free from what? By gas. We'll talk about that more. Because it's not just from, it's free to as well. Um. Interesting, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the threefold ministry is he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. I love that. Further in this gospel, we'll we'll get into the ministry of the Holy Spirit and we will spend some time there. You think this is slow, but we're going to talk extensively about the ministry of the Holy Spirit because it's very, very important that we have a right understanding of what God's word puts forth and what God's spirit puts forth in our hearts as we hear from him as to ministry, as to the ministry, the actual ministry, the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Very, very important, gang. Very important that we have a right to understand. There's so much goofiness out there in the world as far as the Holy Spirit goes. I mean, if you don't believe me, just turn on your television or go to some of these organizations. And, and I, I, sometimes I resist saying church because, uh, yeah, anyway, I'm not going to go down the rabbit trail. <laughs> Ron's cracking up. But my point is, is that, no, that's not what it is. It's, it's the ministry of the Spirit is that he will, the second thing, he'll convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. The second thing is he will guide you into all truth. And that's what we're talking about this morning. You will not understand truth short of the, the working of the Holy Spirit. If you understand what I'm talking about this morning, it's not because I'm all that wonderful a or great order or anything like that. It's because the Holy Spirit is there saying, yes, this is truth this is right, this is good. And, and, and I love seeing the lights come on because it's, again, he uses what's called the foolishness of preaching and I testify to that truth absolutely and that's not false piety, it's true. If you get anything out of this message this morning, it's because the Holy Spirit is there guiding you into truth, having his hand upon you and giving you illumination and understanding as to the truth of his word. And that's great. The third thing is that he will glorify me. And we see a lot of uh, deals going on out there that really don't look like Jesus. And that's what he means by he'll glorify me. This is the ministry of the spirit will look like Jesus. And so uh, as he guides us into truth and we are set free, he gives us these gifts to use. One of them is the gift of discernment. He says, discern the spirits to see whether or not they're from God. How do you know? Well, am I being Am I learning to think like Jesus? Am I, am I learning to live my life in light of the fact that I want to glorify God in this life, in this body? It, it, are these truths coming to bear in my life? Am I bearing fruit, the fruit of the Spirit? Those are good questions, huh? Something else I wanna mention about freedom is uh, Dan and I were talking uh, not long ago and he he mentioned that the greatest freedom carries the risk of the greatest abuse. We have been set free. Think about it, think of Adam and Eve. The very first couple, they're in the garden. I mean, you wanna talk about freedom. I mean, dominion over the earth. No, Adam, you go ahead. And God could have named all the animals and the plants and all that jazz. He says, no. No, you name them. Uh, You have dominion here. You have control. And, And how massive the abuse was when he and Eve fell. And now we... The Bible says there are two Adams. There was the Adam, by one man, sin came into the world, and all inherit Adam's nature. And by one man, sin was dealt with once for all. Jesus, the second Adam, that's clear from the book of Romans. He's called the second Adam because he set things right that went so horribly wrong back in the garden. That that freedom, that ultimate freedom that God had granted was snatched back and actually delivered to the hands of Satan himself, to, to the enemy himself. And this world still sits in his hands, Yes, Jesus purchased the right to take the title deed back to the earth. And we'll look at it when we're in the book of Revelation. But he doesn't take it back until he begins to pour out judgment and wrath upon the earth. Heavy stuff, guys. Verse 33, and they answered him, said, we're Abraham's descendants. Pay attention to the word descendants there and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you'll be made free? sometimes when people want to reject Christ, when people take an attitude or they want to take a position of... You hear all kinds of crazy things as you go along. I mean, I've been walking with the Lord for 35 years, something like that. And, And I've heard a lot of stuff over the years about why people don't want to have faith, why they don't want to believe that Jesus is the one. And these guys, I mean, they're... It, it starts to even look ridiculous. They say, we've never been in bondage to anybody. What about 400 years under Pharaoh? What about if you go in the book of Judges and you count it out during that 450 years, the days of the judges, 305 years were spent in bondage to seven different nations. What about the Assyrians in 722 when they came and they thrashed the northern ten tribes of Israel? What about the Babylonians of 536 when they had three separate deportations under Nebuchadnezzar where they came and they just sacked the rest of the country that hadn't been taken and now everybody is in bondage? What about that? What about as these guys spoke these words, they're in subjection to Rome. Rome is an occupying force in their country. They're not free and, but they, they're trying to push back on Jesus this whole time and in context here, they're just trying to come up with something to refute what he's saying. And well, we've never been in bondage to anybody. Really? I mean, yeah. Well, I'm tempted to rabbit trail on that. <laughs> but Verse 34. Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin and a cruel master sin is. I've seen in my own life the effects of sin and it can be devastating. People, we like to think that if we're in sin that it only affects us. Absolutely not true. Absolutely not true. Sin is a cruel, cruel taskmaster. And and I know by the grace of God that he has snatched each of us from that place of living in abject sin. You might think, well, my sin wasn't as bad as the person next to me or the person that I know. That doesn't matter. In God's economy, it's anything that falls short of his glory. All have sinned and fall short of his glory. Well, look at that. Verse 35, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son of abides forever. And the difference he's making here is a slave, essentially, in their economy was property. If you were an indentured servant, you let's say you owed a debt you couldn't pay. You sold yourself as an indentured slave to your master. I mean, they didn't have, you know, the, the outfits that give you a debt consolidation, all that stuff. I mean, you basically sold yourself into slavery and it was usually seven years. What was interesting is in those days, if the guy loved his master, he could go, he could sign up for life after that. And they'd, you know, the whole thing with piercing his ear with an awl and putting a gold ring in there that identified him as property. But what Jesus is saying here is you're not, a slave is property, but a son is an heir. A slave can come and go, but he's talking about permanence here. He's talking about a son being an heir. Therefore, in verse 36, he says, if the son makes you free, you're free indeed. It's a done deal. It's absolute. Verse 37, I know that you're Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. Now, in verse 39 and 40, they assert that Abraham is our father. And he says, no, he's not. So does that mean there's a contradiction here? No. No. Because there's a difference between them being Abraham's descendants by bloodline and being Abraham's children. That's the spiritual aspect. And he's saying, no, you're not, you don't belong to Abraham. You you belong to hell itself. This is your father, and he you, lowercase F father. Uh, you have your father, and I come from my father, uppercase. And, and we'll talk about that next week because we're going to talk about evil. We're going to talk about the powers of darkness. We're going to talk about all, how all that is connected to what Jesus is talking about with these guys. And, and we're going to talk about there's one camp or the other. There is no fence. And I'm not going to preach next week's message today. But there is no fence. It's, you're, on, you're in one camp or the other. Jesus said, you know, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And anything other than that is evil. And we're going to talk about evil. Kind of an antiquated word, but it's a word that we should all know and that we should understand, and we should understand how the other side operates so that we can gird up ourselves and not be subjected to it, so that we can resist the enemy when he comes. So uh, next week, stay tuned. Okay, we're gonna look at three parts here in the time that we have together. I'm gonna move through this quickly, but I want to talk about free from the penalty of sin to begin with, and that is past tense. What we're going to look at is free from the penalty of sin is past tense. Free from the power of sin is, is present tense. Free from the presence of sin, future tense. Okay, past, present, future. That's how this lays out. Uh, and I think it's beautiful the way that the Lord has laid this out. The first place we're going to stop is in Romans chapter 6, verses 20 through 23. He says, for when you were slaves of sin, and that's what Jesus is talking about here in John, you were free in regard to righteousness. Verse 21, rhetorical question, so what fruit did you have then in the things which you were now ashamed? In other words, there wasn't any. For the end of those things is death. Again, in context here in John, Jesus is talking to these guys. He's telling them, if you don't believe that I am, that I am the Messiah, you'll die in your sins. And so when he's talking about the truth will set you free, free from what? First and foremost is from death itself. Verse 22 But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end, everlasting life. Again, so set free from death to life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, what's a wage, guys? It's something you earn. You ever notice that? It's, it's the deeds of the flesh in Galatians 5 and the fruit of the Spirit. Deeds, things you do, a wage, something you earn. It puts the onus on me, on you, as far as sin goes. But the fruit of the Spirit puts the onus on God to produce the fruit. You don't see a, a tree struggling to push fruit out of its branches. It just happens when you abide, continue in the tree when you continue in christ it's just part of what happens in the life of every christian uh, and i mean real christian you will produce fruit he will produce fruit in your life so a wage is uh, something we earn and sin is the or death is the result of sin so the wages of sin is death But the gift of God, the gift, he gives freely. He says, all you have to do is believe it. All you have to do is turn from the old life, change your mind about me, and believe it. It's that simple. There's nothing complicated about this. This is really meat and potato stuff. There is nothing more complicated in the gospel. The beauty and the simplicity of the gospel is Jesus died for your sins, that you wouldn't die in them by simply putting your faith in him. Straight up. And, and, and folks, when you're sharing the gospel with other people, keep it simple. I love, and you know me, I, I love to rabbit trail, and I, and I rabbit trail a lot. All right, don't laugh. But I do, and and that's fine. It's important, teaching, to be open to the moving of the Holy Spirit and all that. But when you're sharing the gospel, just keep it simple. Jesus loves you. He died. He went to that cross for you. And when he rose from the dead, it wasn't just bringing you up to neutral remember the neutral line going to the cross and dying for your sins to forgive you but to cleanse you and and to give you a life that is really worth living that's the point so if we look at this we see that we're free from the penalty of sin to justification justification simply means the removal of guilt all right we are justified in god's sight I heard the old saying, and and it it fits mostly, just as if I'd never sinned, because we are declared sinless positionally uh, by simple faith in Christ. And so justification is to be declared righteous, to be not just forgiven, but declared righteous, or to be put in right relationship. Justification is the act of God whereby those who put their faith in Christ are declared righteous in God's eyes, and are set free from guilt and punishment for sin. So freed from the penalty of sin is not just the penalty, not just freed from the penalty, but it's also being freed to being justified in God's sight. Uh, Past salvation from the penalty of sin consists of three elements, and I'll go through them quickly. First is the forgiveness of sins. Uh, Our sins are remitted. In the old covenant, in the law of Moses, sins could be covered They were never eliminated. They were covered. There was a covering put over sin, but they were never swept away. They're eliminated in Christ because we have one sacrifice once for all that does that atoning work for us. And so we have the forgiveness of sins and then we have the removal of guilt. And if you're like me, perhaps you struggle with the removal of guilt for sins, for past sins, maybe sins this week. He says, you know, if you confess your sins, in 1 John 1, 9, you've heard me talk about it before, the Christian bar of soap, he's faithful and just to forgive us for our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to cleanse us from all guilt. And sometimes I think, guys, we can get into this whole kind of this head trip game with God where if I feel bad long enough about my sins, then I've felt bad for long enough to suffice that I'm probably forgiven. It's it's weird. I mean, I do that sometimes. Like, well, I've been feeling bad about that for days, and so I guess I'm probably free. No, no, no. Confess. And the word confess there in 1 John chapter 1 means to agree with. This is, you know, when you get to a place where you agree with God about your sin, he then is faithful to cleanse you, to forgive you, and to cleanse you of all guilt. And the third thing is the imputation of righteousness. You are dipped in the righteousness of Christ. He declares you righteous. Now when I blow it. Jesus, the advocate we have with the Father, says, no, no, Father, that one's on me. He belongs to me. She belongs to me. So when I sin, we have an advocate. And Jesus says, no, they're righteous. They have been declared righteous. Righteousness. It's Jesus's righteousness, which is placed on my life. Fabulous truth. And, you know, these are themes that run all through God's word. Uh, we're just touching on them this morning. these are There are strong passages, a number of passage passages for each of these, and I'm just giving you a sample passage as we move through, because I want you to understand that freedom in Christ is not just freedom from, but it's freedom to. So the second part I want to look at here is free from the power of sin, and that's the present tense. That's the present reality that we're dealing with. So I've been forgiven for my sins, and i now I'm in this place where I don't have to be enslaved to it. That's what Jesus is talking about, is people that are enslaved to sin. And and you don't have to be a slave to sin because you can be enslaved to righteousness. And I want to look at First or Second Timothy chapter 2, uh, in verse 24, he says, And the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, and able to teach, and patient. And Timothy is giving his sort of qualifications for an elder or a pastor, you know, somebody that leads. But this is instruction for all of us he says in humility verse 25 correcting those who are in opposition if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth listen to this verse 26 is key he says and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil having been taken captive by him to do his will so when someone is not walking with the Lord when somebody has not experienced the saving grace of Jesus Christ, they're enslaved to sin. They're enslaved to the powers of darkness. And I know, it's nobody's going to walk over you and say, hey, I'm enslaved to Satan. How are you doing? That's not, I mean, it's, well, I hope not anyway. But the point is, is that you're either enslaved to Christ Or you're enslaved to the powers of darkness. You are subject to the powers of darkness. Again, this is not gray areas here. In God's economy, it's black or white. You're either for me or you're against me, Jesus said. Uh, And all through, again, the themes through the New Testament are very clear. You either are enslaved to God, a bond slave, a willful slave to him. A doulos is the Greek word or you are enslaved to the powers of darkness. That's, that's the point of Jesus coming. That's the point of the gospel, to set you free from that. When Jesus sat down there in Luke chapter um, four, I think in verse 18, and, and he opens the scroll. He, remember, he went back to his hometown of Nazareth and, and he opened the scroll of Isaiah. And, he, and he, one of the things that he said is, I've come to proclaim deliverance or freedom to the captives. And then he rolls up the scroll, sits down, hands it to the attendant, sits down, and says, today that scripture is fulfilled in your presence. Part of the central aspect of his ministry is to free us from the powers of darkness that enslave us from birth. If you don't believe me, take the bottle away from a baby. See if that kid has a fallen nature. I mean, we are born spiritually dead. We are born fallen. We inherit Adam's nature. We're not responsible for Adam's sins, but we have a nature that's called sin. You know what that manifests as? sins. All right? So the next time you're tempted to go bonk somebody over the head because of their sins, understand if they don't belong to Christ, they're just going with their nature. They're going with what seems natural to them because the natural man doesn't understand the things of God. We t- we're told that very clearly. So the point is, is we're set free from the power of sin in our lives. We're also set free from the draw From the pleasure of sin. Hebrews chapter 11 says that Moses chose to be identified with these Hebrew slaves rather than to endure the passing pleasures of sin. Again, it'd be a no-brainer. If there wasn't an attraction to sin, if there wasn't something, that titillating about it, there wasn't something that would draw me, it'd be a no-brainer. Like, I don't have to worry about that. But we do. How often... Are people enslaved by something that they think is good? Drive down the street or walk through the supermarket and see the people that you know are enslaved to drugs. I look at how rampant heroin is in our society, how rampant meth is in our society, and there was a draw, an initial draw to that, to those people. Hey man, let's party, let's have a good time. That's the draw, that's the hook. And pretty soon, one day, that person, whether it's drugs, alcohol, sex, it, you know, there's a whole plethora of things that will call your name, call my name, that will tempt us. But God will never allow us to be tempted above that which we're uh, able to handle. And he always gives us a way of escape. So there's that draw there that sin has. Learn to understand and identify temptation when it comes That kind of, if you've been a Christian for long, you know, it's that sense of, man, I'm kind of getting swept off my feet. I want to do that thing. Learn to identify that and learn that you don't have to because you've been freed from the power of sin. The Holy Spirit doesn't cooperate with that stuff. Present salvation from the power of sin consists of, first of all, delivering us from the love of it, the pleasure of sin, which begun at our regeneration and continues throughout our practical sanctification. Because we're freed from the power of sin to sanctification. These are big doctrines. Uh, We've been justified by grace, we've been sanctified by grace through faith, through simple believing that he cleanses us. At salvation, at that moment that I trust him with my life and I turn to him and I release my life to him and his Holy Spirit fills me and comes in, I am declared sanctified. The word sanctify is, is from the Latin word sanctus, which is the word holy. So we are being holified. We've been declared holy and we are being made holy. We are, being, we are a holy priesthood. We are set apart to God, and that's what being holy is, is that, that process of being set apart. So am I sinless? No, but as I walk with the Lord, and as he works in my life, and he shows me that I don't have to live this way, as the Holy Spirit now informs my thinking, and as I go forward in my life, I am freed from the power of sin to sanctification, to being made holy, to learning to think more and more like Jesus, learning to act more and more like Jesus, it's the opposite of church, guys. And I don't mean church in, in the good sense, but I mean we could all come here and just play church. We could all come here and say, you know, I I went to church on Sunday and what's for lunch? You know, and, and it's like he he says, Don't James says, Don't be like a guy that that when he gets into the presence of God that it's like a guy that sees himself in a mirror and he says, Whoa man, you know, I don't like what I see and, and and neither do I most mornings, but uh, you know he, it's like the guy that sees himself in the mirror and then it, when he turns around it's gone. He says, no, come with an attitude of expectancy to hear from the Lord, and then when you turn around, hang on to that thing, walk out that door and live for Christ and live for him and the glorious life that he gives there's nothing burdensome about that, and that is everything but Playing church that's what i mean when i say it's not like church because he calls us to a life he calls us to be a light in a very dark and darkening world doesn't he so the pleasure of sin and this practical sanctification the second thing we see about being delivered from the power of sin is from its power of blinding delusion and it's the, the sin can no longer deceive us because we are deceived we are easily deceived and when the holy spirit comes in the, the spirit of truth, he gives us the ability to identify that thing's a lie. Uh, I, I've jokingly said before that sometimes when people give their lives to Christ, their vocabulary gets really, really small because of the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. It's like, wow, you know, I I, I just don't think about things the same way as I used to. I don't I maybe, maybe treat my wife the way I used to, or I don't. And and we're all in process. Again, I don't want to say that we've arrived because this practical sanctification goes with us till the day this heart beats its last here and it's first there. Very important we understand that and understand what God's will is for you. Not for your spouse, not for your kids, not for the people sitting next to you or or those those really people that kind of put you on edge and all that, but understand God's will for you. This is personal. It's instruction for me and it's instruction for you. The third thing is is we're delivered from the power of sin as far as excusing it. in the King James, uh, there are a few passages I like in the King, in the original King James. I like the new King James. That's what we teach from here. But in the King James, uh, I like the way this is rendered. In Romans 7.15, he says, that which I do, I allow not. You know that great chapter where Paul says, man, oh man, I struggle with this sin, this body of sin, this body of death. And ah, and he ends with Romans 8.1, which is that he's excited because there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So he says, that which I do, I allow not. And this is one of the surest marks of regeneration, the imparting of life when we are made alive spiritually. In the fullest sense of the word, the believer allows it not before he sins for every real Christian when in his right mind desires to be fully kept from sinning. I don't want to sin. I don't get up in the morning and go, "Ah, wow, how can I sin today? That would be abject rebellion. (laughs) He allows it not fully while he's doing it for in the actual committing there is an inward reservation and the new nature does not consent you know that conflict inside there's that inner conflict man i feel terrible that i spoke to my wife that way man i just uh, i wish i could get that man i just i hate that attitude that behavior in me you know and there's that just that enmity. The Bible tells us that the flesh sets itself against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. We can no longer do the things we please. That's what's being talked about here. He says that he allows it not afterwards, as Psalm 51 evidences so plainly in the case of David. David, after Nathan, the prophet, came to him and said, hey, you know, you are that guy. After he had taken Bathsheba and had her husband Uriah killed on the front line and all. And David had the full conviction of his sin at that moment. If you get a chance, read Psalm 51. We don't have time for it this morning, but it's a beautiful psalm of repentance and embracing God's will. It's awesome. It's a great psalm. That's what's being talked about. So we're freed from the power of sin and we have this conviction about sin now that we didn't have before. That the Christian allows it not It's evident by these things. I, I have um, five things here. He has shame over his sin. He has sorrow for his sin or she. There's the confession of it. God, please forgive me. I am so sorry. And I mean it. I'm not just, you know, like, I remember my daughter when she was a teenager, she'd say, Sorry. Like, it's like, and I would just say, You are not. (laughs) But I mean, there's a heartfelt conviction, and acting on that conviction, I am sorrowful over my sin. And I confess it. Uh, There's a a self loathing, there's a loathing uh, because of it. I just, and, and maybe you identify this. I mean, I hope you do, because this is the human condition. This is our flesh that's waging war against the spirit who dwells in us in our and in the spirit. See, the flesh has no power, but we allow the flesh position in our hearts. The spirit brings power. But until I voluntarily, willfully say, Holy Spirit, I want you on the throne of my heart, See, that's where the enmity, that's where the battle is. The spirit wants the position. The flesh wants the power. And it is a battle. So these are very real things that we deal with. The last thing is his renewed resolution to forsake sin. And you know what? If you have to take that thing to the Lord 50 times a day, do it. Do it. Forsake sin and glorify Christ. He says, don't let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. The last thing we're gonna talk about is free from the power of sin, or I'm sorry, the last thing we're gonna talk about is free from the presence of sin, I'm sorry, future. And this is interesting, it's a, 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 when we look at, before I go into that, I wanna look at three things that talk about sanctification. I'm getting ahead of myself here because I wanna close on time. Huh, that's a joke. Um, the first is there are three aspects to sanctification the first is instantaneous sanctification you were sanctified you were declared holy because you get that's part of what's behind door number one when you choose christ he chooses you and and you see that you are declared holy you are by declaration holy that's what a saint is a holy one and it's a, it's a marvelous thing to realize that your position my position in christ is that we have been declared clean we are being sanctified but we have been sanctified the second is progressive sanctification and that has to do with our spiritual growth and i pray that if you are hearing this either here this morning or on live feed or recorded that you understand that it's not god's will that you just give your life to him and call it good but there's this process of sanctification that we're all engaged in that results in our growth to the glory of god the last thing is ultimate sanctification and it has to do with our eternal state when we're there with him now part three free from the presence of sin which is yet future Um, Revelation chapter 21, verses three through seven. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. We talked about that when it talked about in John chapter one, that Jesus came and tabernacled among men. And he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, be no more pain for the former things have passed away the curse is gone when we are in his presence there won't be any sin there won't be any pain there won't be any heartbreak there won't be any tears oh how i look forward to that day and i pray you do too because that is our hope when we talk about hope as christians this is it Verse 5, and then he who sat on the throne said, behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, write, for these words are true and faithful. And I picture the apostle John as the, uh, as the Lord is giving him the ability to write these things down. I, I picture him being so blown away because he's looking at the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, being so blown away that he has to be reminded to write, oh, oh, oh yeah, right, yeah, you want me to write this, yeah, okay. So he says, yeah he said to me, right for these words are true and faithful and he said to me, it's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the the beginning and the end and I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things and I will be his God and he shall be my son. Free from the presence of sin, we wrestle in this life because we live on a fallen planet and we have this nature this Adamic nature that is no longer the dominant nature in our lives, but we pack that corpse around and it rears its ugly head and we sometimes obey it, don't we? Let's be honest. We obey that lust. We obey that temptation. We obey that thing. And God says, no, I don't want you to live that way. I want you to live a life that's not just on the neutral line. You've been forgiven, but I want you to live a life that's plentiful and joyful and prosperous and productive. That's his will. It's his revealed will for your life and mine. How does that happen? By simply saying, Lord, bread of heaven, feed my soul. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, speak to me. And he does speak. In that still small voice, give me illumination, give me direction, give me answers in my life. Because I might have my back against the wall and I'm going through some stuff and I don't know what they are, but I know he does. That's where peace is found. That's where freedom is found. Free from the penalty of sin, I don't have to live there anymore. I have been freed, and not only freed from the penalty of sin, I've been justified in God's sight. I have a new life. I have new purpose. I have a new direction. I'm a child of the king. Freed from the power of sin, sin no longer has dominion over me. I sometimes still sin. And yet I want to stay current with the Lord. I don't want to have my life become the elephant in the room. Again, been in that place, don't like it, don't ever want to be there again. And if you've got an elephant in the room in your life, repent, change your mind about it, ask God to forgive you and to empower you because he won't just bring you to the neutral line, he'll pour it on in your life. I guarantee you based on the word of God, that's what he'll do. And in that day, that glorious day, when when physical death death has lost its grip on us and we're in His presence, we will no longer be enslaved to the, the, the things of this world. We will no longer be subject to living on a fallen planet with fallen people and having to deal daily with the stuff with the fallout from that that fallen thing. Because He will wipe away every tear, He will take away all guilt, He will remove all of that stuff that we deal with all of those things that so burden us even if we're walking with the lord they burden us don't they i mean it's hard sometimes this life is hard and yet he says you know what there is laid up for you a future and a hope in heaven you know there's much more on hell in the new testament than there is on heaven and i think it's because he is you know how you you get a surprise for your kids I think he wants to just pour it on in my life and in yours. He wants us to look forward to that place. But, you know, he doesn't want us to die for him. He wants us to live for him. And so I encourage you, brothers and sisters, live for Christ. Be free from the penalty of sin. Live free. Understand that you're freed from the power of sin. It doesn't have to have dominion over you. And and just deal with it. Come to the Lord. Find an an accountability partner if you're dealing with a a life dominating sin, and Christians get hung up in life dominating sins. And as long as that's a secret, you're held captive to it. Find someone with whom you trust to be accountable if you want to talk to me. It doesn't go any further, it doesn't go to my wife or anybody else. But deal with sin in your life. You are freed from the power of it. Live that way. And look forward to the blessed hope we have in Christ. What a glorious way to live. What a, what a package he gives us through simple faith, saying, Lord, I don't manage my life very well, but you do, you have the, the ability to. So let's bow our hearts and our heads before the Lord for a minute, just a couple of minutes, and just allow the Spirit of God to search your heart. And if you're in a place where perhaps you've never done business with Jesus for the first time, perhaps today is the day Perhaps today is the day of your visitation, of of your salvation, of your being freed from the grips of sin. Not just freed from, but free to a life in Christ. If that's where you're at, I'm not going to embarrass anybody. While everybody's head is down and eyes are closed, just look up at me and meet my eye because I'd like to pray for you. Is there anybody in here this morning that has never given their life to Christ but would like to? If I don't see you, slip your hand up in the air. All right, is there anybody here who perhaps the Spirit of God has touched your heart in a significant way this morning? Perhaps you're identifying areas where you would like to just release those things afresh to him and to see him not only cleanse you, but grow you through them. If you're in a place where you'd like prayer this morning, uh, just for those things that we've been talking about, again, I would like to ask you to just look up, meet my eye, I want to pray for you as well. Is there anybody in here that's struggling in that way that would just like prayer? Is that what you're doing? Okay, good. Anybody else? Don't be shy. Is that what you're doing? Okay, good, good. All right, good. Anybody else? Father, for these, Lord, and and even for those that perhaps didn't look up but just desperately need you this morning, we pray by your spirit, pour it on, Lord. Lord. We know, Lord, that your forgiveness is sturdy and real. And so I pray that if there are areas of sin, that you would forgive. And I pray, Father, that you would uh, just uh, give the assurance that you have, you've taken care of the guilt, that there is no guilt, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we just thank you for that. We pray that you would empower and that um, the enemy's hand would be bound as these walk forward from here. Lord, we thank you for this message. We thank you for this day and for this time to gather. We thank you, Lord, for your word and for your Holy Spirit who drives these things into our hearts. We pray, Father, that we could appropriate them and that we could glorify you in the process. So thank you. We commit these things to you. We pray you go before the rest of our day. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And they all said, amen. Amen.